Hi everyone, my name is Anastasia Lopatina and you're listening to This Week in Ukraine, a video podcast from the Kuma Independent. Every week, I sit down with one of my newsroom colleagues to dive into Ukraine's most pressing issues. And today, we're talking about the Black Sea grain deal, how Russia weaponized it and eventually killed it. I'm joined by the Kuma Independent reporter Alexander Curie. Alex, welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. So before we get into how Russia destroyed the deal, uh, which is ultimately the news of the week. Let's talk about the deal itself for a little bit. So what exactly are the terms of this grain deal, grain initiative, and what does it actually do? Okay, to understand, so the grain initiative was brokered in uh, July 2022 under, let's say, influence, but with the initiative of Turkey and the UN. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea is that it was to create a mechanism uh, that would help create grain corridors or export corridors through the Black Sea under, again, uh, UN and Turkey supervision and allow Ukrainian grain to sort of escape the influence of Russia's blockade. Uh, to put it simply, Russia blockaded Ukraine's access to the Black Sea and was authorizing under the supervision uh, of Turkey and the UN uh, the, well, the exit of certain uh, boats with, uh, with grain. So basically it's concerned three ports, Odessa, Chornomorsk and Pivdeni, which are the main ports uh, around the Black mm-hmm. Sea uh, in, in Ukraine. The idea was that the deal was supposed to be extended every two months. So uh, it started in a, in a shaky way, so to speak, because I mean, when right after it was signed, Russia hit uh, Odessa, which is very, very typical. The uh, port city. The port city. Yeah. Um, but uh, the idea was to extend it. So every two months, every three months, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, until recently, where the grain, it was done July uh, 17, if I'm not wrong, uh, when even Erdogan was confident uh, that, you know, Russia would extend the grain deal. But actually, you know, there was this sort of, Coup de théâtre, as we say, uh, where there was a U-turn from Russia saying, like, we're not we're not going to continue this deal. So why did Ukraine negotiate this deal in the first place? Why did we need it? Well, uh, Ukraine needs this deal because 95 percent of its exports uh, before the full scale invasion was going through the Black Sea. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ukraine produced uh, over 50 million tons of grains uh, last year over the course of last year. So it needed to export uh, at least when the, inv- the full-scale invasion started, Ukraine had is added in storage 20 million tons of grain to export. And uh, if Ukraine didn't export it, it would have been spoiled. Uh, it would have been a massive loss for the country. So it needed to get it out of the country. Uh, Russia knew it, which is also why uh, it decided to blockade uh, Ukraine's port and sort of weaponize uh, actually the, the, the grain, which is why actually Ukraine decided and agreed on you know going around the negotiation so to speak, table with, you know, UN, Turkey uh, and Russia to set up these uh, these grain corridors. And I mean, it's not only about Ukraine, right? It's also about the entire world because we're massive exports to Africa, to many other countries. Yeah, that's true. The, Ukraine is indeed one of the world's largest grain uh, exporters. Uh, and the thing that we also have to understand is because it's uh, uh, one of the world's largest uh, grain exporters, this blockade had a massive influence also on uh, food prices because the less grain you have, the more the prices go up, uh, obviously. And it creates a situation, it sort of snowballs and creating a situation where countries that are uh, extremely uh, reliant on, on Ukraine's grain, are like, their regime is, is usually fragilized. And there's a lot of countries like that. There's over half uh, of uh, Ukraine's uh, export goes to 
these countries, what we call the global south. I mean, the global south is a bit, uh, it's, it's a complex term. term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's a complex term. But um, we have countries such as Ethiopia or, or Somalia that are 100% reliant on Ukraine and Russia grain exports. And there's a massive part of, let's say, the African global south that uh, desperately needs this grain and also in northern Africa. So the thing is that, again, it's nobles. And the, the issue is that if this grain doesn't go there, it can also create hunger riots. It can also snowball into, uh, well, destabilization of the situation and the political situation mm -hmm. there. But again, Russia is more than okay with destabilizing certain mm -hmm. regimes, especially in, in Africa. Here, the grain also works as a tool for diplomacy, especially with the global south. Since the very beginning of the full-scale invasion, uh, Russia has been leveraging its link with certain regimes uh, in Africa. Uh, you know, for example, South Africa, uh, mm -hmm. which is part of the BRICS. And the problem is that Ukraine has been la Ukraine has been lagging behind when it comes to to diplomacy. So that's why Ukraine has been trying to create direct channels of well, we're going to deliver grain to you directly, and mm -hmm. sometimes through the World Food Program, um, because that way we can actually reinforce mm -hmm. this friendship. We can sort of repair links that were not really existing before because Russia does have a very strong influence in uh, Africa. In Africa. Um, and that's why it is important and this grain export is important because um, it also it sort of cuts the the the, the influence of Russia in and say Russia's shenanigans into military coup uh, in in Africa and it also gives a leverage to Ukraine and it gives uh, support to Ukraine, even in the UN, for example, to pass resolutions and, and in this, in what is supposed to be the international uh, order. Okay. So, um, Ukraine and Russia did end up coming together, uh, for a deal. And you said UN, Turkey were also involved. So what was the role of each of those players in this deal? The UN and Turkey, uh, served as guarantor of the deal here, uh, Ukraine being, you know, the victim here and, and Russia being obviously the, the aggressor. All that Russia had to do was actually not attacking uh, Ukrainian, you know, ships. Yeah. And to allow this grain to go through the Black Sea and yeah, basically reach their, their final destinations, which is, again, as we said, uh, most of them are the, the global south. Okay. So Ukraine and, and its allies did manage to get Russia on board uh, with this deal and got green out of the country. So has this deal been successful? How would you assess it? Uh, on paper, the deal has been successful. So as I said earlier, Ukraine produced more or less a bit over 50 million tons of, of grain last year. Uh, if we take into account the EU mechanism, which is the solidar solidarity lanes and uh, the Black Sea deal, it managed to export most of it. Yeah. Through the Black Sea, we're at over 30, so 30 million tons, sorry, so 30 million tons exported through the Black Sea deal. Um, so it worked. Now, the problem in the devils is always in the detail is that it could have been, Ukraine could have exported way more if Russia didn't try and sabotage this deal since day one uh, through many means and through many ways. Well, on Monday, on July 17th, Russia pulled out. Uh, and the Green Deal effectively collapsed. So what happened there? According to Russia, at least to their statements, why did it pull up? I don't want to say it was expected, 
But it's been a while. And again, I was saying that Russia has been sabotaging the deal since day one. Uh, I think that I have one let's flagrant example of Russia's policy here. The deal was signed, uh, I, if I'm not wrong, on July, tw- uh, July 22, 2022. The day after, Odessa was hit by a missile. So they signed the deal, they hit, the, they hit uh, Odessa. And the problem is that since the very beginning, Russia made this deal thinking we're going to use it to leverage and to lift sanctions against us. What they want uh, what they want is being reconnected to the SWIFT system, uh, which is the Western bank transfer system, and also have a lift over, they claim, they claim they want to they wanna have a lift on, on sanctions over their grain exports. Here's the problem. There's no sanctions on Russian grain exports. There is no sanction. They want uh, sanctions to be lifted on fertilizers. There's absolutely no sanctions on fertilizers. So those arguments don't hold. They want um, one pipeline that goes from uh, from Russia to uh, to Odessa through Kharkiv uh, to be reopened. The problem is that this pipeline and the part that has been damaged is actually damaged by fighting between Ukraine and, and, and Russia. Ukraine blames Russia for uh, damaging the pipeline, the ammonia pipeline. It's an ammonia pipeline. And Russia blames Ukraine. The whole point is like, Right now, it's in the war zone, so you can't reopen. You can't, you can't reopen it, or if you reopen it, you're basically going to pollute the entire region. Since day one, Russia has not only sabotaged the deal; it had in the in the idea of using it as a Trojan horse to leverage and to continue blackmail the West by again weaponizing grain. Is this something that has happened recently, just a few days ago, when Russia did finally pull out? It was, Russia was already announcing it. Russia was announcing it for, for, for months. And what's interesting, actually, it's that even Dmitry Peskov, the, the spokesman, the spokesperson uh, of the Kremlin, said, well, you know, it's not linked, actually, uh, to, uh, to the Crimean bridge attack that happened a few days yeah, ago. right. Actually, we A lot of people were speculating, yeah. right, that the yeah. deal was and, collapsing because it was revenge or something. And for once, for once, which is, you know, uh, astonishing, I would say, coming from the Kremlin, for once, the Kremlin was saying, no, we wanted to pull off before, pull out of the deal before, uh, because the West doesn't want to, you know, doesn't, quote, respect uh, our, our demands. But these demands, which again, is sanction lifting, which is yeah, which is in the vast majority uh, sanction lifting. One of the problems is that the EU and the UN, before even Russia pulled out of the deal, were reportedly already discussing reconnecting the Russian Agricultural Bank to the SWIFT system. So they were sort of ready to bow down to Russia even before those demands were, you know, um, were expressed officially. Now, what will happen next? Will this bank be reconnected to SWIFT or not? That's also a big question because it does give leverage to Russia. And at the end of the day, it does undermine the isolation policy that has been in place or that has been pushed by the West since the beginning of the full-scale invasion. Just to point out one figure uh, about, you know, Putin claiming and, and the Kremlin claiming that uh, oh, Russia doesn't have and cannot export its own, you know, its own grain and its own food. Right, because I think that was also one of the stated reasons why yeah. they didn't like the, the Black Sea. Here's the, here's the problem. Uh, the figures show that Russia exported a record 45.5 million metric tons of wheat this year. It's a record. 
Yeah. And it will go for like to 20, uh, 40, 47.5 million uh, tons for next year. So like, okay. I, I hardly see, I hardly see any sort a, a of blockade or, or, yeah. and there's another issue is that, uh, there's the issue of, of stolen, uh, Ukrainian grain, uh, which is, which does raises the question, what kind of grain does Russia exports in this, in the figures I, I gave you, uh, what grain was actually, which grain was actually produced and what quantity was actually produced in Ukraine or not, we don't know. There were several um, news stories, at least, that I've seen about Russians stealing Ukrainian grain from the occupied territories, the mm -hmm. territories they occupy along the sea coast here in Ukraine. Um, are some experts, people who follow this, speculating that they could be trying to officially export that as Russian grain? Yeah, of course, of course, and it has it has been also going going since day one. We have the satellite uh, satellite images of you know transfer, mm -hmm. uh, seeing the transfer of grain from uh, from some boats into containers and all this. So yeah, we, we we do have the proof that it happened. The only thing that is difficult to not to prove but to quantify is again how much grain uh, was stolen. Mm -hmm. So it's clear that Russia negotiated this entire deal in bad faith, uh, and they've weaponized it, and they tried to use it as leverage. And the entire time that this deal was in place, I remember every time I'd read the news, it seemed like the entire world, uh, or at least the actors who were involved in this, were kind of in a shaky feeling 24-7, because as you said, the deal had to be renewed constantly. So that meant that the world was constantly in a negotiation mode. Mm -hmm. And Russia was constantly threatening to pull out and it was really intense. But now that, you know, at least for now it's over, for the first time Russia pulled out, so we don't have the deal at least right now at this moment, where do we go from here? Like, is there some other way to keep the grain experts going? What are some of the other options Ukraine is considering? Here's the thing. I don't believe that the, the whole story is over and I don't believe the deal is over. Why? Uh, because because of Turkey or because or thanks to Turkey and to Erdogan. When Putin uh, declared that he was pulling out of the deal two days before, uh, Erdogan was publicly saying that Putin had agreed to extend the deal. So it's a massive slap in the face of Erdogan. And as we all know, there's not someone to thread lightly when it comes to humiliation. So, um, and also Erdogan has been taking at least publicly, stances or siding with Ukraine recently, that is around NATO and at the, at the NATO um, summit in, in Vilnius. So it also comes back to um, a couple of hundred years of who's dominating the Black Sea. And actually back to Catherine the Great and this sort of, not contest, but conquer, uh, conquest war over the dominance of Black Sea between the Russian Empire and the, uh, the Ottoman Empire. Right now, Turkey controls uh, two, two straits, which is the Bosphorus and the Dardanelles, which are extremely important. And uh, he is trying to assert, and Erdogan needs to assert, his dominance over the Black Sea, uh, over the Black Sea in general, and in this deal, because first he passes for the good guy. Second, he becomes the number one sort of purveyor and 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 well, no, number one player and provider of grain for the entire global south, uh, which is which is a big deal. Um, and he passes, you know, for the mediator who manages, you know, to to sort of broker. A little bit of negotiation between between Russia and Ukraine. So Erdogan has uh, every interest to <clears throat> make, this, make this deal happen and to make to make this work. Mm -hmm. 
So you're thinking maybe we're going to see some sudden move. Maybe we're going to see some further negotiation. Yeah, as I said, um, there are there's a lot of things happening behind the scene that we don't we don't necessarily know about before it's actually announced. You know, uh, as I said, this negotiation around the SWIFT transfer. So. And yeah, this negotiation happens, you know, they, they, they happen behind closed doors. So we don't, we're not necessarily aware of that, but I'm pretty sure, I mean, I would have, you know, paid a lot of money to actually, you know, be there for the call between Erdogan and Putin right after Putin announced that, you know, he was pulling off the deal. So, right. yeah. I mean, of course, there's also the solidarity lanes, which you already mentioned, which is essentially the, without getting too deeply into it, the EU brokered mechanism to let the grain pass um, through roads and on trains into Europe. That causes its own set of problems because it destabilizes European markets. Um, so without taking the solidarity, the solidarity lanes, which are already working, uh, is there anything else that could happen? Because President Zelensky did publish a bit of a dramatic statement saying that Ukraine was apparently approached by companies that own the ships that carry the grain. And they said that they were ready to continue working despite Russian attacks at these ports if Ukraine would allow that and if Turkey would let the ships pass. So is that something that's realistic at all? It is realistic. The The, the main issue here is... You know, again, we don't really know what's happening behind the scene between Erdogan and Putin. At the end of the day, it's, you know, it's in their hands here. I mean, Ukraine and Ukrainian ship can try and, and, and force the blockade uh, if they want, but it does mean, I mean, Ukraine's, Ukraine doesn't really have a sea fleet right now to even protect its own its own ships. So it does rely so on... So Russia, can, Russia controls that area still, regardless of what on, we do. Yeah, on, I mean, practically, yes, because it does have its ships there. Also, uh, on the topics of solidarity lane, because it's also an important topic, Ukraine did manage to export 29 million tons through these. And to understand what it is, uh, it's one of the mechanism, uh, the other mechanism that was set up by the EU to allow this grain to get out of the country. So it was going through land, uh, so road, rail, vessels using the, the Danube, Danube River, but in, in the direction of the West. Now, the first countries that were uh, taking this grain in, so... It's Poland, Hungary, Slovakia, Bulgaria, and Romania found themselves in a, in a bit of a pickle, to say the least, because cheap Ukrainian grain flooded their market and it, do, it, it did destabilize their market a bit. Mm -hmm. The other problem is that they didn't have enough room, enough warehouses to export this grain. So they decided to unilaterally ban uh, this grain, which is, again, illegal uh, in the eyes of the EU Commission because the EU is supposed to have a unified trade policy. So the EU struck a deal saying we're going to ban a certain type of Ukrainian grain until a certain date, which is September 15, and we'll see after. Uh, now the situation is slowly resolving itself actually in Poland, uh, but it takes time to, you know, to empty the warehouses. And uh, the problem is that still these five countries are asking to extend to extend this ban. They don't want more grain from Ukraine. At the moment, no. But the problem is that they asked for it today, only a couple of days after Russia uh, pulled out of the deal. So it... They asked to extend the ban yeah, on Ukrainian grain yeah, a few days after yeah. we got rid of this another mechanism. Which is, you know, which is creating a perfect storm, so to speak, for, for Ukraine. Because uh, 
Yeah, on one hand, there's no more Black Sea Grain deal. On the other hand, the solidarity line is not really working anymore. So, and Ukraine continues to produce grain. I mean, it never stops. And people so, continue needing it. And people continue needing it. So one of the solutions uh, was actually potentially provided by Croatia, who said, well, you know, guys, maybe we can help you export grains through uh, through our port. The real question is, does Croatia has you know enough capacity to export? That's that's another that's another topic. Um, but yeah, it might be, it might be yet another solution. I want to take a moment now to tell you guys that the Cuban Independent just released its very first documentary movie. Uh, it was produced by our journalist, Olesi Bida. Uh, she's a part of our war crimes investigations unit. And it's a movie called Uprooted, and it, it's an investigation that dives into how Russia kidnaps Ukrainian children. In particular, it looks at a group of children from Mariupol, a city now occupied by Russia, in the south of Ukraine. And it, it tells it their stories, the stories of their families, and how they try to get them back from Russian or Russian-occupied territory. Um, the movie is now available on YouTube. It just premiered yesterday, so make sure to check it out. And we're now going to be moving to questions from our community members. Um, the Kim Independent also finally launched its very own community membership system. Um, so now it's very easy to support us directly on our website without any intermediaries. All you have to do is just go to kimindependent.com slash membership. And there are several options for support. You can do a one-time donation or you can subscribe to us uh, for as little as $5 a month. And all of our community members get really cool perks like discussions with editors um, or access to exclusive events. And also, so you get access to a Discord server that has all community members, including the newsroom. So journalists too. And we try to be as active as possible there, answering your questions and engaging with you. And of course, you also get a chance to send us in questions about the podcast topic before every single episode. So the first question that we got was, can Russia's refusal to extend the deal now on their conditions bring benefits to Russia to supply their own grain on their own terms? to the same countries where Ukraine supplies it to. So basically, does does the killing of this deal benefit Russia's own exports? Um, I mean, Russia didn't really need that deal to already benefit from, from that because Russia was already stealing Ukrainian grain and, you know, selling it as its own, uh, sometimes to the same countries. And also exporting it. And exporting, own. yes, exactly. Uh, when we talked about, again, you know, Somalia and, 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 and such countries, when we say they're dependent 100%, they're dependent on of 100% of Ukrainian and Russian grain in the same time. They just have to replace it and put their label on it. So mm -hmm. it doesn't really change. It doesn't really change much. We know for a fact that Russia doesn't play fair uh, when it comes to when it comes to the market. So yeah, of course, I mean, they're already benefiting from this situation. But it's not like that's the reason why they killed it, right? No, no, no. They, again, they didn't need to do that to, mm -hmm. they didn't need to kill the deal to actually do that already. And another question that we got is, what are the prospects for NATO and the EU and Turkey to declare some sort of protected shipping zone uh, from Odessa, Ukraine's port city, to Turkey, backed up by their own air support? Because um, the member says that that appears to be the answer. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough question. I mean, uh, that would be, a, I mean, it's the $1 billion question, which actually uh, is the equivalent of the, you know, the no-fly zone and the F-16 and all this. Um, Let's say Russia shoots a boat that belongs to NATO or shoots a plane that belongs to Turkey. It's potential escalation to Article 5, uh, which, Russia, which, which NATO doesn't want 
and Mer- badly and, doesn't want badly doesn't want and NATO wants to avoid this at all costs. Right. So if Ukraine didn't have a no-fly zone over you know its sky, I don't really see how they would you know uh, how NATO itself. I mean Turkey can can get into it, but um, Na- I, I hardly see NATO getting involved uh, getting involved in that, despite the fact that you know Russia decided to sort of shift the battlefield uh, on civilians and also agricultural infrastructure. It's been two two nights now that Odessa is being pounded by Russian missiles. And to actually add insult to the injury, so to speak, uh, Russia has been targeted grain infrastructure infrastructure and warehouses uh, in, in Odessa, which it doesn't necessarily need to do because it's already destroying the economy. Um, so this is just days after they flowed yeah. out of the deal yeah. officially. They're yeah. already sending missiles mm-hmm. at the grain yeah. in the port. Yeah, specifically, specifically there. But again, they, it's a pattern. And as long as you know, NATO doesn't understand this pattern uh, and doesn't want to escalate because they're scared of escalating, well, this problem will never be solved. Well, Alex, thank you so much. It was really interesting to listen to you. Thank you. Also this week, Ukraine liberated almost 18 square kilometers of land while regaining initiative near Kupansk in Kharkiv Oblast, where Russian forces reportedly attempted an offensive. Ukraine's defense ministry reported on July 18th. The general staff of Ukraine also reported that Ukraine continued advancing in two directions along the southern front. On July 17th, explosions were reported at the Kremlin-constructed Crimean Bridge. Local occupation authorities said that the bridge was partially destroyed and blamed Ukraine for the attack, but the Ukrainian military hasn't claimed any responsibility. And the Financial Times, citing its anonymous sources, reported that Saudi Arabia and Turkey are trying to broker a deal to repatriate Ukrainian children that were abducted and forcibly deported to Russia. The Ukrainian government confirmed that approximately 20,000 Ukrainian children were kidnapped by Russia already, but some officials say that the real number could go as high as 100,000 children. You can find our show on YouTube and all audio platforms every Friday morning. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to us and like our content wherever you are listening to this podcast. Please make sure to support us by going to kubindependent.com membership and also check out our multimedia history project, Ukraine's True History. Um, it is a project where we debunk Russian myths about Ukrainian history and Russian distortions of Ukrainian history. Um, it is a series of videos and articles, so check out our website and our YouTube channel. Also, make sure to support us on social media by subscribing to our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening.